So I want to know from your groups, go to the four boxes and you're going to have different numbers. How many of you found it very, very difficult? No? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Semi? <laughs> okay. All right. So let's start with this table and we're going to see as we go around which box had the most? Okay. Is that true with everybody? All right. What's your second one? Discipline and protection, kind of the same. Did you have a lot more or a lot more protection? Okay. So, how many had protection next? Many tables. Yeah, the second one. Okay. And what about, what's the third one? Okay, so blessing, then protection, then discipline. And the last one was punishment. Okay, so before you did that exercise, would you have assumed that was true? Yeah, well, is that the surprise for you? There's not a lot of punishment going on with God's hands. There is, for those who have willfully said, you are not for me, I'm going my own way, um, or for the tribes who, who absolutely worshipped other gods. Um, anybody surprised that there was, a, there was more protection for most of you than there was discipline? No. And that discipline with his hands, he was always calling his people back to himself, never never uh, shunning or pushing his people away. He was always trying to bring them, which we do with our own children. Discipline should never be, I'm really angry at this moment, so I'm going to make you pay for my anger. It's always to bring you back into good behavior, in, into fellowship. We should always end our discipline. It's so much easier as a grandmother to do that, though, I find. There's always a reason to hug afterwards. And here's a piece of candy, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't so much do. So, so I loved that exercise because even for me, I was surprised at how much God uses his hands just to bless our lives and to protect us from evil and from harm. And what a good heavenly potter we have that he uses his hands in that, in that way. Any other surprises or anything else you wanted to share shortly in a few words? Okay, you're going to get to do that in your next small group. You're going to be able to talk through some of, some of what we've shared. So let's move on. Um, when we get to the place where there's nothing between God's hands and ourselves, he's, he's pulled things away from us so that we now are beginning to sense that he's holding us, we experience the process of wedging. Remember, not wedgies. So wedging... If you've not seen anyone working with clay, maybe you've seen people uh, doing that with dough, bread dough, um, is the kneading process. Wedging is a little different from working with, with bread dough, um, but it is moving the clay around in a circular fashion. Nowadays, some people will knead their clay differently, but in the Bible time, as far as my reading has shown me, 
they did it in a circular fashion as they were as they were kneading this clay to make it workable and i just wonder if the potter is convincing the clay that this is the way you're going to be going in a very few moments in a few days i'm i'm leading you towards something very very important so one of the books that i read said the time of wedging remember potters are a little different The time of wedging is intimate contact between the potter and his clay. And it was very moving as I read through these books how the potter feels about this wedging time. I found as I looked through scripture that the word drawn, D-R-A-W-N, is an allusion to the wedging process. So for instance, in Jeremiah 31... Verse 3, it says this. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, semicolon. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that word drawn can be defined in Hebrew as to draw, to lead, to seize, or to drag, which is what the potter is doing with his clay The wedging process is an intimate process between the potter and the clay. He is drawing that clay to to a very important moment. Here's another time it's used in, in the Greek, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and then I will raise him up on the last day. That word draw is that leading, seizing, the potter is the initiator. God the Father is the initiator. He is drawing all of us to himself. Whether you've not been in a relationship with him as your father, or whether you've been in a relationship for years, he is the initiator because he first loved us. I know sometimes we think and we talk about the day we were saved or the day we came to Christ We talk about it like, this is the day I made the decision. And the truth is, none of us make that decision unless God calls us. And God calls all of us. See, we're good Wesleyans here in the Methodist church. So we don't believe that God picks some and doesn't pick others. And I like that one, so I'm going to take that one to eternity with us. As John Wesley would say, and as we read scripture... God is drawing all men unto himself, all women, all children unto himself. He's doing this whole process with everybody. Even some people you look at, like Diane was talking about, you look at them and you think, where is God in this person's story? He is there. He's picking out twigs and leaves, and he's, he's putting people through a process of taking away impurities. He's trying to get his hands on this person. He's wedging them. He's taking out impurities. God is the initiator in all of our lives. We never get to the point where we have enlightenment and decide salvation is for us. He brings that to us, and it's free for all men, for all women, for all children. So during this wedging process in our life, both before Christ and after Christ, he's drawing us to something very special that's about to take place. Now, here's the kind of scary part. 
so that you don't think wedging is just a series of nice back rubs and bath salts. <laughs> it isn't all that. A lot of times in the process of wedging, the potter will be moving this clay towards the wheel and he finds that the clay is not workable or he finds that maybe there's something else in there that the clay hasn't given up yet. And so he takes this wire that he kind of um, hangs up above the table where he's working and he takes the wire and he slams this wire through the very middle of the clay and opens it up and sure enough there'll be a pebble in there or maybe an air bubble and we're going to find out later today what happens in the kiln when there's air bubbles in clay. Not a pretty sight. And so the potter will take the air bubble out, will carefully take the, uh, the piece of grain or the, or the rock or the stone out and then begin the process all over again. Maybe some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, that's exactly where I am. I'm laying on the, on the table waiting for God to tell me when I'm going to go to the wheel and all of a sudden I'm sitting there happily and a wire goes through the middle of me and rocks my world. And the truth is, when that happens, it is the grace of God that he's allowing one more look, one more pass, one more time for the potter to keep you on that floor um, or on that table where he's working with you intimately. Let me read some of the things that the book said and see if you can hear God's voice in these very secular books. Sometimes the process is gentle and sometimes it's extremely forceful with the potter in wedging. That all depends on the workability of the clay. The potter needs the clay for several minutes and then abruptly he senses something that the clay doesn't know is there and he takes a wire to get rid of those air bubbles and rid of the impurities. Here's another book. I love this. The clay begins to come alive on the wedging board. All clay is different. Much of the difference has to do with where the clay came from, what the particular, particular consistency of the clay is, and how coarse or plastic that clay is. Here's another book. These are all different books. The primary purpose of wedging is to get out air pockets, but another purpose is of equal importance. There's unspoken dialogue that's initiated between the potter and the clay. Time spent wedging is a time of intimate contact that establishes a mood of thinking and working. It serves to initiate and direct future courses of action. So potters, as you wedge, listen to your clay. Are you beginning to see the intimacy that a potter feels about his clay as he's working with it? He's listening to this inanimate object, I want to remind them. But God, as he's listening to our hearts and sensing what we need and sensing what will woo us into his presence, what will, what will woo us to the cross, to the wheel, he's listening to us. Here's another one. Clay is naturally responsive to the potter's touch. His kneading the clay together puts the very oil and sweat of the potter into the clay. Think about that for a moment. 
as God is working over you, if you've ever seen a potter working over a wedging board, he's leaning in. His heart is leaning into the clay. And the very oil and sweat from the potter is going into the clay. This book says that clay actually takes on the smell of the potter. I like that. 2 Corinthians 2.15. We are the fragrance of Christ. As clay, we take on the very smell of the potter because he's been leaning into us, over us, over our lives, and he's preparing us. Now, all of this time in your life, before you were a Christian, you had no idea that God, your father and your heavenly potter, has been doing all of this initiating in your life. He's been getting you ready. You remember back in the garden when Adam and Eve said, we're going our own way? And they stepped out of the garden, and God's grace was that he put an angel there so they couldn't step back in because they would have had to live eternally with this defiance, with this resistance. And so God said, no, that's not going to happen. I will keep you out of here until I'm able to woo you back in. And so he took the skin of an animal and he clothed them, and he said, you were about to go on a journey But this entire journey, I will be with you. I will be taking out the impurities. I will be wooing you back into my presence. And eventually, because of the death of this covering that I'm giving you, you will come back into my presence if you're willing to choose me and not your own way. So let's talk about that. We're at the wheel now, ladies. And in our story, in the potter and the clay, the wheel represents the cross. And the cross, or the wheel, there's two parts to this. You and I both know that as individuals, we can't go to the cross or to the wheel for our own sins, can we? There's nothing we can do. There's nothing... We can't make a decision like um, one might make the decision, I'm never going to sin again. I'm going to take my own life as a sacrifice, and I will cause myself to never sin again, and I will pay the price for myself. You know that's absurdity. So in our story, the, the wheel that the clay gets up on represents the cross, It represents the cross in our own lives as Christians. It represents Christ going to the wheel for us. He was centered on that. God knew from the very beginning. Remember the foundation of time as we read in Scripture. Before we were created, God knew that Jesus, his son, would come. And he would take the cross. He would would die as a sacrifice for our sins because we, not Jesus, We decided to go our own way. We said, we will be resistant to your love. We will be resistant to your fellowship. And we will make the decision that our way is better than your way. And so Jesus came as one of us. He took on flesh just like us. And here's an exciting thought. He still has flesh just like us. That was one of the most beautiful moments after our daughter died in a car accident. I had just taught on, um, on the dance and, and 
the thought of Bethany dancing with Jesus and he was flesh and blood was the most comforting I don't know, for some reason, even as a Christian, I just saw this ethereal, ethereal spirit-like world of nebulousness. And when I put together the fact that wherever heaven is, it sustains a human body. Jesus in human form is in heaven, paradise. And he is there with those we love and those who have come to faith in him, for some reason, it changed everything I thought about death. I wasn't afraid anymore for her. There was an instant between earth living and the second she felt the arms of Jesus around her. In whatever form Bethany's in, Jesus is in human form. He is both God and man. That's free. It has nothing to do with this. So, so Jesus went to the wheel as the only clay who could be given as a sacrifice. And so the wheel sort of represents death and life. You know when a piece of clay gets on a wheel, it gets slammed into the center. And, and let me tell you, if you don't slam your clay into the center, it either flies off or goes flat. And I know that because that's the one thing I'm really good at doing is not centering and not... And, uh, and, the other thing is putting too much water in so that it just becomes a gooky mess there on the wheel. So the perfect clay, the only primary clay that's ever been given, was slammed onto the center of the cross. And God took his thumb. If you've watched clay being formed, it goes into the very center of the clay as the wheel's going around. And this whole, it, it goes inside out. The clay does. It's fascinating to watch. The thumb goes down and, and the clay goes down and out and around and then forms into whatever the potter wants to create it to be. And so in much the same instance, although there were nails on the cross, it was God and Jesus as God that held him there, held him fast as he died for us and then was raised again for us. Much like clay is, it stops being a glob of clay and a brand new life, a new creature, a new creation, as in Corinthians 5.17. So Jesus takes the cross. And for us as clay, this is the first time it's not God's initiative anymore, it's our decision. We make the decision. Am I going back into fellowship with God or am I going my own way? Did Jesus die on the cross for me? Was it my life he was sacrificing for and, and paying for? And so as we jump up on the wheel, here's our first job we've gotten. Do we get up on the wheel and accept his death? And the second thing is, will we lay down our own lives and our own moral autonomy? Our own decision about what's right and what's good and what's real and what's the best for me and what feels the best. And we say, from this point on, as I center myself on your cross, I will not make the decisions about what's best for me. I will go to your word. I will go to prayer. I will listen for your voice from now on as I'm on this cross. I will... I will listen to older Christians who are mature in the faith, those, 
those that are that have mature clay, uh, clay with bloating and fluxes, you know those people? Um, and I will listen to the experience that I have had, all those things that the Wesleyan quadrilangle says. Um, so he dies for us on the cross, but we come to the cross daily. Scripture tells us every day in John, you will pick up your cross and you'll follow me. See, as a Christian, even though we get wedged and refined and wooed and, and centered and, and we go on the wheel and then we move off of the wheel and we go into the kiln, for the Christian, we always come back to the wheel. We don't go very far from that place where every day we die again to our sins. Every day we say, I tried again. I tried it again. I wanted to say that I knew the right way, and so I'm coming back to you again, Lord, and I'm accepting your death on the cross, your, your death on the wheel, and I'm laying my own life down, laying down my own desires, my own willful choices, and I am saying today, that I accept your death on the cross and I will die to my own sinful life. Now, when we come back this afternoon, I'm going to read you a children's story that I wrote that's pretty short, but it kind of explains the process. It's called um, The Potter King. And it, it explains the process of how God creates the clay and then um, they keep trying to go to the wheel and, and they can't do it and they can't die to their own sinfulness, and so the, the potter um, sends his own son to, to do that for them. And so we'll get to hear that. So come back. You're going to have an afternoon of playing, so come back in a playful attitude so that you can hear this as a child might because we know that um, it's the children who receive the kingdom of God and eternal life. When you meet together as a group after, it's after our fun time, right? So after we, we have some activities, you're going to um, sit together in the same group. I guess you're with them right now, right? You're going to talk about where do you see yourself in this process? Here, um, here are some ideas. Are you in a refining place where God has shown you places that he, that are impure or or maybe not impure, but you have taken on leaves and twigs and things to, to fill the empty places in your life. And God is saying, I'm going to take those things from you so that you know my love. Maybe you're in a place, you're on the wedging board, and you're sensing God's love. And you're sensing that he's calling you either to salvation or to dying to yourself. And so he is wooing you into his presence in love. Maybe you're on that wedging floor and you've been feeling loved and all of a sudden you've just been sliced in half. And that's because God has found something in there that he wants to break or something in there he wants to take, something he wants to bring wholeness into your life so that he fits you back together and then you go back on there. Now, there's some people here who may be in timeout. And timeout is good for the potter in the clay because the potter is not in a hurry to get things done. He's not Larry the cable guy who says, just get her done. The potter, he loves the process that he's in with you. 
He has loved you since the day you were formed, as in Psalm 139, in the depths or the bowels of the earth, in your mother's womb. He's loved you through every step of the way. And the process is the important thing. It's not, it's not getting done all of this so that I can get through the kiln and then I can hold living water and be the grandest of all grand Christians. That isn't the point. It, it has never been the point. Because all of our lives are wrapped up in seasons, like Diane was saying. We think you've been made for this one thing, and yet you were for a time, and then God moves you out of that and into a new place and into a new place. And while he's moving you out of these places where you feel this is the one thing I was created for, he's giving you rest periods and he's wooing you and he's refining you and he's taking you back to the cross. And so the point is the process. Like I said, some of us have been through this process an awful lot and it never gets old, actually. There is new and invigorating twigs to pull out of your life and, and leaves to get rid of and pebbles and impurities. And God is there the entire time loving the process. Those of you who have raised kids, you remember the years thinking, if I can only get them through potty training, if I can only get them through high school, if I can only, and, and then years come and go and you realize it, it really is all gone. And you're a mother-in-law or a mother of an adult child and you realize, I have no sway whatsoever. That's my own sin talking. God never does that. God never hurries up and gets us done so that he can move on to the next person. We're in process, ladies, and God loves this process. It's him with his hands on us in protection and blessing and sometimes discipline. That's the good news. So don't be in a hurry to get to the next place or the next thing. Where you are, like Diane said, is, is where he's planted you and where he plans for you to be. Rebel in his hands being on you.